0: Welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, a podcast where we're figuring out finance one dumb question at a time. I'm the dummy, Caitlin Meredith, a coach and mediator based in the Bay Area, and
1: I'm Sarah Glacus. I'm an investor, advisor, and founder of Black Barn Financial and the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup and Facebook. We originally recorded this episode in summer of 2022, but since we're still getting questions on whether or not now is a good time to be investing, we thought we'd reissue it in March of 2023. Enjoy.
0: So we're doing this little mini series before season two in the fall um, just to kind of get our, well, Sarah already understands all this stuff, basically just so that I can understand the economic realities right now. So in the first little mini series episode, we talked about the context, like what is a bear market? Is this a freaking recession or not? What does that mean? And then last episode, um, we talked about you know, what not to do, how to not make it worse than it already is, and to make yourself feel a little bit safer. But I am also curious to talk about, like, people that have a little extra money or have incredible job security or are lucky enough to be coming into money right now or whatever. Like, what are the ways you've talked about opportunities? Oh, my God, I have to start with what the fuck are I-bonds? And why is everyone talking about them? (laughs) And should I be paying attention? Sorry, that just came into my head as like, urgently you need to answer that question. What (laughs) are they? And is it a gimmick? Is it an e-cigarette? What is it? Why is everybody saying I-bonds? Awesome. Okay, so we'll
1: start with I-bonds. I-bonds are inflation-linked bonds. They're inflation-linked treasury bonds. So they're bonds issued by the US government. And the interest rate that they pay you is linked to the inflation rate that's reported, um, I think it's based on CPI, the Consumer Price Index inflation rate that they report every month.
0: So wait, so- the bond—I learned this from you—is like a loan. I am you loaning the U.S. government, the Treasury specifically, money, and right. in return, they give me an inter- They give me interest. Okay, so the bond means loan. And the interest rate is like any interest rate. Usually, I'm the one who gets a loan from the mortgage people, and I pay them the interest rate. It's turned upside down when you buy a bond. You're giving a loan. OK.
1: That's right. So the the US Treasury Department will pay you an interest rate based on inflation, the inflation rate. So in normal times, this is like super boring over the last out of 10, 15 years, inflation has averaged less than 2% per year. Uh, but as we all know, last year and this year, we've been experiencing very high inflation year over year. So what that means for an iBond, first of all, whenever you lend the U.S. government money, uh, we call that a risk free loan because the U.S. government has never not paid back the principal and interest that it owes someone. It's always paid someone back. So it's it's not like they go out,
0: they go out of business and they're like, sorry, your shares are worth nothing. Like they will pay me back for my loan.
1: They will pay you back. So it's so close to certain that we call it risk-free. Okay. So you're guaranteed to get your money back. And I think I bonds, I wish i prepared a little bit more for this question, <laughs> even though you kind of told me in advance you're going to ask me about it. But as of now, the rate, the annual rate on these I-bonds is something like 9%, right? Because okay. inflation is running at 9%.
0: God, so, this is making me think I should have bought some. OK, keep going.
1: OK, so a couple things to know about I-bonds. That rate, that that coupon rate, or that yeah. interest rate that we just talked about, it's going to adjust every six months. Oh. It, it adjusts in May and then it's going to adjust again in November. Okay. Then you get the new inflation rate for six months and then it'll adjust again.
0: Oh, it's not like you get the rate when you buy it, you get that rate and it's fixed. It's a variable right. interest rate.
1: Oh. It's a variable rate. Very important to know because if you put $10,000 in there now, you're also limited to $10,000 per calendar year. Oh, okay. So if you put $10,000 in there, you'll get credited your interest every six months at whatever the rate is at that point in time, and it can change. So if inflation goes up, the rate would go up. If inflation goes down, that rate's going to go down.
0: Okay. At which point I could
1: sell it. Well, to get all of the interest that you earned, you need to keep that I bond for five years. Oh. And you have to keep it for at least 12 months. So it's not like a savings account. You can't just put it in and then take it back out. You have to leave it in there for 12 months. Okay. And then if you cash out the bond before the five-year like maturity date, you're going to sacrifice three months of interest as a penalty.
0: It seems like a lot of decisions. It's the opposite of the kind of investing I want to do, which is just. Press the button, get the index fund, and never look at it again. This one, I'd have to like revisit all the time to see if I still want to have it.
1: Yeah. You you also can only buy them through the treasurydirect.gov website, which is not the most user-friendly website that anyone's ever created. They, <laughs> they do the best they can. Um, total pain to open up a new account. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It'd probably take 30 minutes to set oh. up the account and fund it, and then remember your login, and then (laughs) not forget about this money that you put over there in this account during this like crazy time during 2022. Um, But the the reason people like it is it's risk-free. And I mean, a 9% interest rate is really
0: high, right? That's really good. If it stayed that way for a long time. But then if I stayed for five years, in the last three of it, it was down to 2% it would it would all f- wash out, right? Like yeah. the average would then be like 3.5 or something. So it wouldn't actually be You don't know how it's going to do. It is a little bit exciting to find out. You have to wait 5 years though. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, so I would say it's a pretty good alternative for really conservative investors or for the very conservative part of your portfolio. If you would You know, if you have a lot of money in cash that just as a matter of course, and you have the opportunity to get, I don't know, maybe an average of three or three and a half percent over five years, then you should do that. It's risk free. Um, If you're trying to actually grow your money, like we would expect in the stock market, it's not a substitute for stocks. I just don't think that's what this is going to turn into. Okay. so they are interesting to think about, interesting to look at. I've had people who have just gone bananas and are totally in love with i bonds, um, and I have people who are like, "This doesn't really sound like it's worth my the time and effort For to open minutes. the account."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> or
0: my kind of it's, people.
1: It's usually like the twelve month lockup, or you know, the five year maturity rate. Yeah, right? Where people and are having like, to put oh, stuff on your calendar. Drag.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what about the people that have, just for whatever reason, like don't have to change their savings plans, have a little extra money, like where, how do we take advantage, or they, (laughs) how do they take advantage of this market? Like, what are the upside? Where's the silver lining?
1: Yeah, I mean, the silver lining is that given enough time, this is going to look like a buying opportunity. If the future is, anything like what it has been in the past. Um, one of the things that people often kind of throw out there is if you're thinking about investing, if you have an investment that loses 50%, you need a return of 100% to get back to even. If I invest $100, yeah. my $100 investment falls to $50. Right. I've Right. Lo- lost 50%. Right. But now, I need to make $50 on top of my $50 to get back to 100 That's a 100% return. Okay. And sometimes people will say this as though it's like, impossible, right? Like, that's crazy. Like, I need 100% return to get back to even, right? But in the stock market, like if you look back, that's how it works, right? Stocks fall. Then they need to go up by more than what they fell to get back to where you started.
0: And then keep going up on that trend line.
1: Yeah. Right. That's how you make money, right? Right. Is buying those declines and then waiting for the market to recover over some period of time. We don't know what the time period is. Right, The recovery from this decline is probably not going to be super duper fast. It's probably not going to be super duper slow. So, if you have enough time to wait it out and you can accept the risk that, you that it buy might go lower today and it goes lower.
0: Yeah, don't look.
1: I, I think it, you're just going to look back at this time, especially like some of these super well known, like mega cap tech stocks that are out there that have just like gotten pummeled this year. I mean, so I mean, Microsoft and Apple have hung in pretty well. Google was down by a whole bunch. It's since recovered. Um, Nvidia down by a whole bunch and has since recovered a little bit. But you're gonna have like some of these like, like world changing companies that have had a really tough year that I think that some of these companies, you're gonna look back and be like, I wish that I had just put Wait, some extra money
0: to Which that. one, Sarah? Which one? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm not, don't have that kind not of making recommendations.
1: It's just, you know, there's household names. I mean, Amazon fell by a whole bunch. And today, so today's what? Uh, July 29th, 2022. Amazon went up by 12% today, right? Based on not terrible performance over the last quarter. They just reported their earnings yesterday. So there's going to be... Opportunities that pop out of this—it is really, really hard to figure out, like individually, where the opportunities are. Yeah. But even if it's just an S and P 500 index fund, or maybe an index fund that focuses on tech companies or growth companies, uh, those are the types of companies that are having a really hard time this year in the face of higher inflation. Uh, But over long periods of time, you know, a lot of these companies are going to. Grow. They're
0: good at figuring out how to, yeah. Yeah. I'm assuming you mean index funds. So you're not like choosing a company. You're saying like this group of companies that are in a fund so that even if one of them tanks, I'll be okay. And if not all of them do amazing, I'll still do pretty well. That's a much better risk to take than putting all your bets on one of them.
1: Exactly. So it's much easier to think of types of companies. In 2022, technology companies and growth companies have had a really bad, hard year. Uh, Those are probably also the types of companies that over the long run are going to be just fine. Right? So, So you can get an index fund that instead of all of the companies in the S&P 500 you can get an index fund that focuses on a subset that is growth companies. Or How do I look that up? Companies. Like
0: literally what do I google?
1: Um, growth stock index fund.
0: <laughs> you mean or the actual words you just index said. Index fund. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, uh, and you don't have to worry about scammers like will they present me with 50 and I have to go through each page or will there be like three?
1: Uh, Look for the ones that are issued by the companies you know and love. So Vanguard has one, Schwab has one, Fidelity has one, iShares has one. Uh, Okay. Everyone has one of these things. So not like
0: Mike's (laughs) 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 stocks.com.
1: Got it. Okay. Um, You can, like, now people are creating all of these exchange traded funds, these ETFs that have, like, clever tickers and... um, they're trying to make like clever subsets of stocks. I would maybe stay away from those. They tend to be kind of niche and narrow, but certainly like if you're looking at Vanguard or Schwab or Fidelity or iShares, you're gonna end up in, I mean, I think the Vanguard growth fund has, I don't know, 300 companies in it, right? And you look at the holdings and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard of all of these. So kind of stick with the name brands if you don't wanna go combing
0: through, you know, Mike's ETF list to see which one you like the best. OK, so I have three scenarios to test you with. One, someone who has never invested before and but has like a crazy savings account. Let's say they've put all their money, hundred. they have $100,000 or sold a house and are just holding on to that cash because, They do not know what to do because the market crashed. And so they're like, this would be crazy to put it in the stock market. But what's the scenario here? We say like, yeah, I mean, I see it as an opportunity because they're buying when the market is very low. Sounds like what you're saying is as long as they're prepared to see it go even lower if they're tracking. Yeah. I
1: mean, for that person, I would say at this point in time, we're seven months through a bear market, it might get worse or it might get better. Um, If that person is sitting on $100,000 and knows that they want to be invested for the long run, I think a perfect strategy would be something like dollar cost averaging, where that person just deposits $5,000 per month in an S&P 500 index fund or something like that for 20 months and then. Then it's invested.
0: Yeah, we did an episode on this about dollar cost averaging. It was episode 14. What do I do with a big chunk of money? And if I remember, it's like a psychological tool also that like you're not putting everything all at once. So you have like a habit, a ritual every month you're doing it. And over time, you'll take some uh, dips, but you'll also buy well, like it'll all even out in the end.
1: Right, and you'll probably end up coming out ahead in a market like this one when you're buying into a market that could continue to go down for some period of time. You'll be getting some shares that are a little bit cheaper.
0: Okay, I like that. What about a person who has put in, puts in $600 a month in their IRA or whatever, every month, chose a very generic, or target retirement fund for the year they think they'll retire, and it's just like going along that well. Would you suggest they change up what funds they're investing in right now um, to take advantage of this market, or like slow and steady wins the race, no matter what, stay in the big index fund?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I actually had this come up the other day with a meeting that I had, where like a relatively like moderately conservative investor had a little bit extra from dollar cost averaging. And now that she's at the end of her dollar cost averaging, she has a little bit left over. And she decided to see this as an opportunity. So instead of the you know, the the more conservative fund that we had talked about her investing in, she decided to take that small batch at the end and put it in something more aggressive because the market's down and she knows you're supposed to buy low and sell high. I think you can look at that and say, it depends on how you are viewing this market and how long you have until you need the money. Can you wait it out if it continues to get worse? I'm seeing a lot of people who are in pretty good financial shape and are worried about everyone else not being in very good financial shape, but it makes me think that a lot of people are actually in better financial shape than than we all think. And so that you know, if you're in that camp where you are in pretty good financial shape and you can see this market decline as an opportunity, I think you sh- could feel really good about taking
0: advantage of that and not
1: and not playing it too safe.
0: Okay. I like that idea. It gives you Um, some flexibility in a down market to sort of see like where you could uh, do things a little bit differently than you would in a more stable market where you just want to be as generalized as possible. But now I'm thinking third scenario, someone who is about to retire, whose time horizon is very different for when they need that money to work for them. What we've said in the last episode, don't cash out, don't sell it all. But are there adjustments, are there priorities that should be hap- could be happening right now to lessen the impact?
1: Yeah. So just a rule of thumb for kind of everybody, especially retirees, is when you're going through a period of transition, you need to prepare for that before it happens, right? So I'm just going to kind of take a step back from this example. It's like yeah. the, the retiree example and say, if. If you are getting close to this stage or if you're in this stage, it is important to have, I usually earmark, five years of living expenses in something relatively safe. And that's not waiting for the market to crash to do that. That's doing that five years before you hit retirement age. right? So it would have already been done by the time 2022 came along. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So from from a planning perspective, if you are five years out now, start planning for where you're going to get five years of living expenses between now and 2027. Um, If you are retired now and you didn't do any of this planning and you went into retirement with a lot of stocks and now you're down 20%, I would start where you are today and do some of this planning. Look around and see, where do I get... Let's start with 12 months. Where do I get 12 months of living expenses in an emergency? It might mean carving that out of stocks that are at a decline, not all of them, but some of them to build up that cushion in the event that the market gets worse. So it's when you're planning for a transition period, and this is often retirement. It also might be um, if you're like if if you like done family planning, like if you know you're going to be out of work to stay home with a child, or um, if you know that I don't know, even if like you know your marriage is rocky and you might be going through a separation or a divorce, um, carve out the money to set aside and have be. Pretty stable, carve that out ahead of time and don't base the decision on the markets. Base the decision based on your timeline for this thing, this transition you're about to go what through. What
0: does that literally look like? Like um, changing your investments from stocks to bonds or a savings account, like or a mixture of the two for five? Because five years of expenses can be a lot of money. Yeah. So I'm assuming it, you don't want it in your savings account, but maybe bonds. That are secure, yeah. except for these stupid I bonds where you have to stay in for five years. <laughs> Sorry, so it, I it would people.
1: be, yeah. So there would probably be like a savings account, maybe a high yield savings account. You know how much I love those, but yeah. in this case, you might need one, um, and uh, your bond allocation in your portfolio. Okay. So, so bonds this year have done poorly. Bonds are down ten percent in 2022, but if you'd had six to 12 months of cash, and we can wait for bonds to recover, which they will given enough time, then the cash is the first source, the bonds are the second source. And if you have five years of bonds and cash and other safe assets saved up, you can give the stocks time to recover over that period of time. Five years might I like the five year period, at least for the first like transition stage of like leaving work, going through retirement, and then getting retirement under your belt. Because some people think that their um, their expenses are going to change, but you don't really know how yeah. they're going to change until you're actually doing it. So that's why I like the five years. You might end up spending more money than you thought. You might end up having health-related issues. You might end up wanting to travel. Um, the five years gives you a nice big cushion, and you can always scale that back as you kind of get your bearings and figure out okay. what your retirement life is going to look like.
0: Right, you can convert some back into stocks. Totally. Um, but as you were talking, it also thought of a scenario where, um, you know, you would put all this money in a 529, a college savings account, um, and your kid's going to college next year, and all of a sudden you have 20% less. Like, do you use that money or do you keep it in there and take out more loans in a hope of recouping your losses in the 529 over time? Does that make sense? Like, if yeah. you lost $20,000 in your 529 over the past year, do you then make up for that with loans and hold on to your 529 instead of cashing it out for your kids' college? Yeah. I am going to go back and say that I that I think in previous
1: episodes we talked about this kind of five year time horizon. Yeah, you cannot have any money in stocks that you think you might need in the next five years. Oh, you
0: already messed up, people. Sorry.
1: <laughs> so if you know, like, if you didn't know that, or if you kind of you know kind of stepped in it accidentally, right? Yeah, and made it kind of made that blunder, like rolling into retirement or uh, college spending years being really heavily allocated towards stocks, then just like lesson learned, right? Uh, This is exactly why you don't do that. Uh, But so if you are in that position, I would say, like in that case, if my kid's a freshman and I'm using some or all of this 529 for college, I would try to maximize the amount of time that I could wait for stocks to recover. Depending on your risk tolerance, it might mean taking out student loans Maybe drawing down an emergency fund or a home equity line of credit, kind of anything you have to let those stocks, give those stocks time, right? College typically lasts four or five years. That's not an insignificant amount of time. And the market might recover, hopefully will recover over that time horizon. I would try to do that. I would kind of do whatever financial engineering I could to give my stocks time to recover if if that was the boat I was in right now.
0: You just reminded me of something else that you had said that shocked me, which was you, I mean, your stance is quite clear. You would do almost anything before you sold your investment portfolio. You would sell your house, I think. I mean, we'll talk to your husband in a, in a future episode <laughs> about these decisions. But, um, and you talked about getting a home equity line of credit. As, like, things that you would do before. And so I'm, I'm curious can you list all those things for our listeners? Um, all the things you would do if you needed money or anticipating that you might need money before you would sell your investment portfolio. Let's see if I can make a list. Uh, cut expenses. Yeah. Wherever. Take out one of
1: those low interest credit card offers that come in the mail. Okay. Take out money against my home line of credit or my home equity line of credit. Maybe not sell my house and move somewhere else. But I would definitely max out the line of credit, okay. though, that I've already put in place against my house for a situation just like this. I would go to the bank and see under what terms they would loan me money. Like if they're going to loan me money at 5 or 6 or 7%, and I think that stocks off of a low maybe return... 7, 8, 10 or 12% per year, then I would make that trade. I would borrow at 7% in the hopes of making 12% or more off of a off of a low. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like you would expect to get a higher rate of return out of a downturn than you would right. off of the top. Right. What are other things that I would do?
0: These are all shocking enough for me, so I'm, yeah. my belly's full. I'm yeah. just, what you are making abundantly clear is that taking on debt, even with interest rates, even with rates that might be higher than in any other terms that you would accept, will always be preferable to you than losing out on the potential yet probable returns on your investment portfolio over time. That makes me sound like a, kind of, like, a, like a crazy stocks person, Gordon Gecko. W- the I, lady. Yeah, I,
1: I would rent out a room in my house. I would rent out the casita in my backyard. Yeah, I, I've got lots of ways. I've got lots of other things
0: those kids can do. Some online. kind of labor that brings in money. Uh, can they? I, I, w-
1: I would get a second job. I would try to monetize my podcast. I would, you know,
0: <laughs> I, I got wait, lots, wait 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 lots wait.
1: of stuff I would do.
0: <laughs> um, okay, I think that's the headline, is that like anything before cashing out, because what you, A, what you've signed up for is the risk, but also B, if you only get the risk without the reward, you're selling yourself literally very, very, very short, and that that growth is so important to our futures that almost everything else is at play rather than cashing out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, my feeling is we've come this far. Like Now is not the time to give up. We've come this far. If you have other options, explore them. If any of these things that I'm talking about are way outside of your risk tolerance, and you won't be able to sleep at night, then it's not the right
0: path. Yeah, yeah. No, the cold blood in your veins really helps with your tolerance for all this. (laughs) Can you explain to me what a home equity line of credit is and who qualifies and what it actually means?
1: Yes. If you own your home and you have a good amount of equity in it, then you can borrow against that equity. A bank will give you a home equity line of credit where you basically borrow against the value of your house. Um, The rates are pretty favorable. They tend to be based on the prime rate. maybe plus or minus 1%. Uh, but the idea is that if you borrow money against the home equity line of credit, then you pay interest to the bank for borrowing it. But if you have a home equity line of credit and you don't borrow against it, like you have, it's like having a zero balance on your credit card. If you have a zero balance on your home equity line of credit, then you don't owe anyone
0: anything. And it can just kind of sit there and be available to you if you need it. Can you spend it on anything? Or do you need to get a new front porch or something?
1: Nope, you can spend it on anything.
0: Like groceries or Yeah, if if you need to. So how does the money do you get a credit card for it or something? Like is it like a credit card? Um,
1: I think the way I I'm with PNC Bank, I have it it's just kind of linked in my list of accounts. So I just have to place like a request for four thousand okay. dollars and they'll just put it in my checking account. I think you can also request a checkbook. So you can, you know, write mm. a Check to someone if you're renovating your bathroom, you can write a check for ten thousand
0: dollars to whoever's doing that. Okay, and you think this is a valuable, useful tool in people's sort of toolbox for how to bridge times where cash inflow is not great, but you have an investment portfolio to protect, that yeah. it's totally financially responsible and understandable to rely on these other credit mechanisms to get you you through.
1: Yeah, if you understand how interest rates work, um, this is a variable rate. So when interest rates go up, the amount that you owe will go up. And when interest rates go down, the amount that you owe will go down. Or I'm sorry, the interest that you pay will go down and up depending on interest rates. Okay. If you understand the rates. If you're not in danger of defaulting on this home equity line of credit, this is because it's your house is collateral, if you don't pay it, they're gonna come foreclose on your house, right? Okay. So you don't wanna be in a situation where your cash flow is so low that you can't make the payments. The monthly that, payment, yeah. Right. Because you don't ever want to put your home at risk either, right? But for that, I liked when you use the term bridge right, a bridge from here to there, or an easy, quick source of liquidity, or an amount of money that you can use today if you know that you'll be able to pay it back in the not-too-distant future, right? Then it's just like a tool to kind of uh, smooth out cash
0: flows. How long do you have to use it once you get approved for it?
1: I think that most of them are in place for at least 10 years and then something else happens. Like If you have a balance after 10 years, you can choose to pay interest only for a certain period of time. And then after a certain period of time, it'll start amortizing. That means you have to pay back the principal and the interest. Okay. Um, but you can refinance home equity lines of credit pretty easily. And there's no closing costs. It's often way cheaper than doing a cash out refi. Um, oh,
0: OK. Okay, that's, so that's uh, that another benefit to it. I was going to ask you. OK. OK. Um, you've given so many practical ideas here for people that both to like feel more secure, but also maybe take advantage of these low rates, given that there's no guarantee that the market isn't going to go even lower. Yeah. But um, it will definitely go higher also over time at some point, someone And so if you can spend more money on it right now, you'll get that benefit in the longer term. But I think, um, I guess what I'm pushing against is so much of this fear is also just normal people who aren't actually at risk, not wanting to have anything to do with the stock market right now because it's going low. But actually, you can flip that in your head that this is an opportunity to buy low like what you're supposed to, given the idea that none of us will know when we've reached the bottom. The bell doesn't ring. No one calls Sarah to let her know. We'll just Uh, see it in retrospect. Let me know. Let me know (laughs) when you know. Go on our website. (laughs) Um, But that. It's still a good time to be investing. Like, that's crazy because anything else, like, that would be doing terribly, you wouldn't be like, yeah, throw more money into it. But in this case, we're so counterintuitive.
1: I know it's so counterintuitive. And again, that's why this is hard. It's why not everybody does it. Um, It's why people have scarring experiences in the market. These are just ways to get through it stay on that train, keep creating wealth and put yourself in the best position possible to make money.
0: For the long run. Yeah. For the long run. Thank you so much, Sarah.
1: Thanks, Caitlin. Do you have any dumb questions about investing or finance? Ask us on our website, womenontheverge.com. If your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, or not letting you know about family income, this could be financial abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call
0: 1-800-799-SAFE. This episode was edited by our co-producer, Kelly West, and our music is by Bad Bad Hats and Devmo. I know the first thing you is The turn To get what you want in life, girl, you got to be bold. No, I'm die rich, die rich. And
1: this podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained here should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security.